we, we might get started then. Um, we'll be able to continue these conversations after the service and over lunch. Um, I'd like to thank Chris for such a long reading and so many tricky pronunciations. He did well. I'd also like to thank uh, Josh Rowe of St John's Gettys um, and Keith Hill of AFES for their notes and resources uh, in helping for this Deuteronomy series. So let's, let's pray. Lord God, King of the universe, as we come now and open up your book, would we thank you for your word to us. Lord, let it be that I speak your words and not my own. Lord, open our ears and soften our hearts to hear from you. Lord, convict us where we need convicting and encourage us where we need encouragement. Lord, may your name be glorified alone through the preaching of your word this morning. Amen. So today we're starting a new series looking at the book of Deuteronomy. I don't know if you've read Deuteronomy before or how much you know about it. Maybe you have studied it and know it and love it. Or maybe you tried to read the Bible from the start to the end and made it as far as Leviticus and gave up. Never made it to Deuteronomy yet. I don't know, maybe you know that Deuteronomy has a bunch of laws in it and some weird ones like don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. But Deuteronomy is more than just a bunch of laws. Deuteronomy means second law, but this isn't a second law to replace or to add to what Israel received at Mount Sinai in Exodus. But Deuteronomy is a sermon explaining these laws and reminding the people. Actually, it's a collection of three sermons, and these sermons are Moses' farewell to Israel. But what about us? Why should we study Deuteronomy? It's thousands of years old. It's written to a people who are not us, who lived long before Jesus even, in a place that isn't Toowoomba. Why is it worth studying for us today? I'm going to give you four quick reasons. Get your pens ready. First, it shows us what God is like and who he is. We don't worship a different God between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is our God. The one we come to through Jesus. Deuteronomy shows us what he is like. He is gracious and merciful, faithful and just. He wants life and good for his people. And he can't stand sin in his people because he wants their good. Second, Deuteronomy shows us a picture of what it looks like to live in relationship with God. How to live the good life. A loving life with the living God. It is going to take some work for us to understand what these laws reveal about God and living with him, but it's worth it. It's going to teach us and rebuke us and correct us and train us as we live righteously with our God. Third, Deuteronomy is the foundation of the rest of the Old Testament. The books after Deuteronomy explain how well or not God's people do at keeping his commandments. They're carted off into exile according to the curses laid down in Deuteronomy. 
the prophets speak in light of God's word in Deuteronomy. If we want to understand the Old Testament, we need to get our heads around Deuteronomy. And fourth, Deuteronomy points us to Jesus. When Jesus showed his disciples everything in the Old Testament that was written about him, it included Deuteronomy. It is able to make us wise for salvation in Jesus. We're going to see how it shows our need for him and helps us to understand eternal life that he gives us and shows us what life in relationship with him looks like. So Deuteronomy points us to Jesus. So as we study Deuteronomy over the coming weeks, we're going to see these themes come out in more detail. And so let's begin. Grab your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy. But before we look at it, I want to ask you a question. Can I get the slide, please? Thanks. What does it take for you to trust someone? And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean where you would trust someone with the things that are most precious to you. Someone that would listen, that you would listen to, to what they said seriously, even if it was hard. What would it take for you to trust someone like that? It probably takes a bit of time, doesn't it? It isn't just given straight away, it's earned over years. It's earned bit by bit. You trust them with something small and then something a bit bigger and a bit bigger until you can trust them with something really precious. And you need to see that they always tell the truth, even when it's hard to hear. And gradually, over time, that trust is earned. Moses is talking about the same thing in the passage we read here from Deuteronomy. God's people are standing on the edge of the promised land and about to go in and to receive all that God has promised them. But will they? What will it take for them to trust God, like to really trust him, to the point where they listen to him? They trust him when things are scary and obey him even when they don't like it. And it's a question for us too. What will it take for you and for I to really trust God? To trust that he wants our good always. To obey him even when it's hard. To trust him even when we're afraid. This kind of trust has to be earned. But God has already earned this kind of trust. Moses begins this book of Deuteronomy with three chapters reminding them of what God has already done, how he has already earned their trust. He has been faithful. We're going to see from these chapters that because God is always faithful, even to an unfaithful people, we can trust him and obey him and live without fear. So let's begin. Deuteronomy begins on the edge of the promised land. We see there in Deuteronomy verse 1, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran, Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. These are the words that set the context for the whole book of Deuteronomy. These are the words of Moses, that great leader of God's people. You know, the, ones, the one who led them 
when God rescued them from Egypt, when he waged war against the gods of Egypt with the ten plagues, how he led his people through the Red Sea on dry land, the one who met with God on behalf of the people at Mount Sinai, when God came and made a covenant with them, the one who received the law on stone tablets twice, these are his words. In fact, these are his final words, his last speeches, before they go into the land and he dies. So they're important. He's speaking to Israel, God's chosen people. They are poised on the edge of the land, God promised, and they're looking across the Jordan at the promised land. They're so close, they can, they can taste it. And Moses is speaking to them. But these aren't just Moses' words. Let's read from verse 2. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadash Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the Lord, spoke to the Israel, people of Israel, according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. Do you see there? These are God's words. They'd better listen up. This is going to be really important. Through Moses, God is going to lay out for his people how they are to live as his people in relationship with him in the land he's giving them. We're going to see as we work through Deuteronomy, it begins by reminding them of all that the Lord has done for his people. It calls them to listen to the Lord, to obey him when they go into the land. And then it lays out all sorts of laws about what it looks like to live in a loving, trusting relationship with him and flowing out of that in relationship with others. And Deuteronomy ends with a list of blessings and curses. Blessings if they obey and curses if they don't. And this isn't because God is being capricious or arbitrary. He's not out there to spoil their fun. He's saying all of this because he wants them to have life, true life, a good life, a loving life with the living God. The Lord is the one who made everything, the one who gives life, the one who is life. The good life is a life lived in relationship with him. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 30, 19, God is going to call them to choose life by obeying God. He describes this life as loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. God is calling his people to obedience for their good because he wants them to have a good life in him. We're going to see that this morning. These words of God through Moses put a challenge before us. Will we trust in God too? And it's also a pointed question for the Israelites, because something has already gone wrong. In verse 2 that we just read, the journey from Horeb, which is another name for Mount Sinai, where God met God's people met with God, the journey from Horeb to the promised land is only 11 days, but here we are in the 40th year. They are almost 15,000 days late. Something has gone horribly wrong. Moses is going to explain. It all happened when the people were approaching the land for the first time. So let's go back 40 years before Deuteronomy 
And look, God told his people to leave the mountain where they met him, which is Sinai, and go to the land he is giving them. See in verse 8. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob, and to give to them and to their offspring after them. This is God's faithfulness, you see. Way back in Genesis 15, God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham to make Abraham's descendants into a great nation and to give them the land of Canaan. And now God is keeping his promise. He is faithfully giving them the land that he has promised. Not only that, he's made them great. Moses can't keep up with caring for all of these people. He needs help. Why? Because God has kept his promises. In verse 10. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. God has shown his faithfulness. He's rescued them from Egypt. He's blessed the people and made them great. He led them through the wilderness, feeding them with manna, giving them water from rocks, and now he's brought them into the land to give it to them. All they have to do is take it. Verse 21. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This isn't just any land, it's a great land. As we read with the kids earlier, the people send spies to check things out. And the spies come back and report that this is a good land, full of fruit and livestock, a land flowing with milk and honey. Only the best for God's people. But one catch. The spies also report that the people living in the land are big. The Anakim, descendants of the Rephaim, live there. The Bible doesn't say much about the Anakim or the Rephaim, apart from their one defining feature, that they're giants. The Anakim lived in fortified cities. They have big armies. What will the people do? Will they trust God? The faithful God who has led them through the wilderness, who has kept his promises, who is giving them the land? Or will they end up back in the wilderness? Verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where we are going up. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. All the people can see is how big their enemies are. They don't trust God to take care of them. In fact, they grumble against him. They say he hates them. Out of fear and mistrust, they reject God's gift to them. Even then, Moses pleads with them. They have a chance to obey. Moses reminds them of God's faithfulness in verse 29. 
Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you have seen the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Have you seen a dad carrying a newborn baby? That's how it, we've seen it here in our own family here at church. How he carries them gently and carefully with great love. That is how God has carried his people. Moses reminds them of God's faithfulness. He fought for them in Egypt and he'll fight for them again. He has gently carried them in the wilderness. He'll care for them in the land. They don't have to be afraid. They just have to trust him and obey. But the people refuse. They won't go up. And so instead God judges them. And the Lord heard your words and was angered and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers. They rejected the land that God has given. So God gives them what they've chosen. This is a punishment that fits the crime. They have refused to receive the land from God by going up, so they won't ever receive the land. They will turn around and go back into the wilderness, and they will die without seeing the land that God provides. It'll take 40 years, but none of this generation will see the land except the two faithful spies, Caleb and Joshua. But then they make it worse. They decide now that they're going to obey. Now they're going to go up into the land. But this isn't a sign of true repentance. True repentance is being sorry for sin. It acknowledges wrong and it accepts the consequences. True repentance turns to God and says, I'm sorry, please have mercy on me. And it takes away from sin. But they don't do that. They don't turn to God for mercy and accept the consequences. They think that they can make up for their sin by doing the right thing now. But they can't undo what their past disobedience. It is just ignoring God's word again. It's adding insult to injury. God warns them not to do it, but they go up anyway. Again, they don't trust him. And they're soundly beaten. And so they turn around and go back into the wilderness. The exodus is being undone. But even here, God is faithful to them. Even though they will not see the land, he promises that their children will see it, that they will go in and receive the land. They may have been unfaithful, but God is still faithful to his promises. Not only that, but he is with them and he blesses them even in the wilderness. Chapter 2, verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness these 40 years. The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. They are wandering through the wilderness under God's discipline for refusing to trust him. This grumbling, difficult people But even then, even in this circumstance, God is with them. He led them and he's providing all that they need. 
He's providing manna and quail and water from the rocks. Their clothes and their shoes have not worn out despite all of their walking. And he's even blessed them. They were unfaithful. God is faithful. He is even faithful to carry out the judgment he promised. He keeps his word. All of the generation who refuse to enter the land die in the wilderness. But God doesn't prolong. As soon as it is done, God turns the people back to the land. And it's time for a second chance. So God's people approach the land, takes two. God leads the people towards the land. And on the way, they go through the land of Esau. But that is not their land. Verse 5. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seor to Esau as a possession. See, it is not just Israel that God has been faithful to. God has been faithful to Esau's descendants too. These aren't God's chosen people. They don't worship Israel's God, and they don't have a covenant with him. But God owns the land and decides who will live there, even if they aren't his people, but he has given this land to them as a possession. If he can do it for them, he can do it for Israel. And it's the same story with the land of Moab and the land of Ammon. God has been faithful to the descendants of Lot, the Moabites and the Ammonites. In fact, in verse 21, we're told that God destroyed the Rephaim, the giants, a people who were great and many from their land, so that Lot's descendants could live there. God has been faithful to them. He can do it for Israel too. And that's what he does. Israel travels north out of the land of Moab and Ammon into the land of King Sion, the Amorite. Only this time, God gives Sion and his land to Israel. They're able to defeat him, capture his cities, and take the land which God is giving them. Verse 36. From Arur, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city that is in the valley as far as Gilead, there was not a city too high for us. The Lord our God gave all into our hands. God is fighting them. God is fighting for them. God is faithful to his promise and he is providing. Now, this does raise some hard questions. Some hard questions about God's people destroying an entire people group and taking their land. These are questions that we will answer uh, when we get further into Deuteronomy. So we'll put them on hold for now. We will get to them though. To prove it wasn't a fluke, God does the same things with the land of Og. He is a big guy, another descendant of the Rephaim, a powerful king. Chapter 3, verse 11 says that he has a bed of iron, a precious metal in those days, and it is four metres by two metres. That is a king-sized bed. He was a big guy. But what would happen? Could God's people defeat him? Yes. Because God is faithful. Just like Sihon, they were able to defeat Og and take his lands to be the lands of Israel. Sixty fortified cities plus many villages. God was faithful to his promises. 
Which brings us to the moment of Moses' speech in Deuteronomy. Israel is on the edge of the land. They have defeated Sihon and Og, and they have started to take the land. God is with them. They've been unfaithful, but God is faithful always. And so Deuteronomy leaves us with the question, what next? Will the people listen? Moses lays out the good life for them, a loving life with the living God, and he calls them to obedience and warns them of their consequences if they disobey. But it all begins with this reminder, you are an unfaithful people, but the Lord, our God, is a faithful God. He will keep his promises. He will do all that he says. Be warned. He will keep his promise to judge. He will do what he says. But be encouraged. Even then, he will be faithful. Even then, he provides for his people and he will keep his promises to bless them. Will the people listen? Will they trust God? We'll just have to wait and see. But these are questions for us too. Will we trust God? Will we obey him? Will we fear the things of this world or will we live in obedient trust, knowing that he is faithful and that the good life is found only in him? The good news is, is that we have even more reason to trust God than the Israelites. We have even more evidence of how faithful our God is. We have another 61 books of the Bible after Deuteronomy and through the ups and downs of Israel's history, God remains faithful to his promises. He turns and saves his people when they cry out to him. They go into exile, just as God said, yet he restores them and promises them an eternal kingdom. To this rebellious people, God even sends his own son. Jesus comes to take the punishment and the judgment that God's people rightly deserve, that we rightly deserve. That's how far God is willing to go to be faithful to his promises. He's even giving us his only son. In Jesus, we see that God is being faithful to both his promises of judgment and his promises of blessing. In his grace, he pours out his judgment upon his son. Jesus takes all the curses which are rightfully ours so that we can share in the blessings that are rightfully his. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have eternal life with him, adoption as sons and daughters. God's spirit is living in us, his law is written on our hearts. God has proved himself to be totally and utterly faithful. So will we trust him? If you're not someone who trusts in Jesus, let me encourage you to do that today. He is faithful and he offers you eternal life. Will you receive it or will you reject him? If you are someone who trusts in Jesus, be reminded 
and encouraged by his faithfulness. God is faithful to us, even when we fall short. He will always keep his promises. If we trust him, we should listen to what he says. His commands are not arbitrary. He's not out to spoil our fun. Therefore, you're good. They show us what it looks like to live in relationship with him, which is the only truly good life. Sin promises much, but will only leave you broken. It only leads to death. But life is found in Jesus. So listen to him. And don't be afraid. The Israelites were stopped from obeying God by their fear. All they could do was see their enemies. They stopped seeing God's faithfulness. And there's so much that we could be afraid of too. Sickness, uncertainty of jobs and housing and inflation and cost of living. Uncertainty of who or when God will provide a a full-time pastor for us. We could be afraid of pain and suffering or even death. But we have even more reason to face these things in trust than the Israelites did. God is faithful, always faithful. He is the creator of all things. He is with us. Even in our suffering. As Romans 8 says, If he has given you his own son, how will God not graciously give you all things as we face whatever trials the world throws at us? God is preparing a land for his people. The Israelites received a land flowing with milk and honey, but we'll receive a city which is paved with pure gold and a river flowing with the very water of life from the throne of God. We don't need to be controlled by our fear. Instead, we can trust and obey him because our God is with us. So what will it take for us to trust God? He has proved himself time and time again over thousands of years from little things to even giving of his own son to save an unfaithful people. We might be that unfaithful people like Israel, but he is our faithful God. Let's trust him and obey him and live for him with confidence and not fear. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you have preserved it and kept it so that we can read it thousands of years later. We thank you that through it we can see what you are like, your faithfulness to a people despite their unfaithfulness, your kindness and tenderness as you carried your people through the wilderness despite their rejection of you. We thank you that you kept your promises to provide a land for your people and we look forward to the place you are preparing for us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus that you sent him to take our punishment and judgment that we deserved and gave us your blessing in return.
We thank you that you love us and that you care for us, that you haven't abandoned us. Help us to trust you and not to fear, but to trust and obey. Amen.